This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, and welcome to the Why We Argue podcast. I'm Robert Talese, your host. I'm professor of philosophy at Vanderbilt University. Why We Argue is produced by Humility and Conviction in Public Life, a project based at the University of Connecticut, which explores how to balance our deepest commitments with open-mindedness, a respect for reason, and intellectual humility. The series, which is made possible by generous funding from the John Templeton Foundation, features brief discussions with publicly-minded thinkers about the state of civil discourse in contemporary democracy. Now today, my guest is Joshua Cohen. Josh is a distinguished political philosopher who has held the Martha Sutton Weeks Professorship in Ethics and Society at Stanford University and the Leon and Ann Goldberg Professorship of the Humanities at MIT. He is currently on faculty at Apple University and is Distinguished Senior Fellow at the School of Law, the Department of Philosophy, and the Department of Political Science at Berkeley. In addition to all this, Josh has edited the Boston Review since 1991. Hi, Josh. How are you? Uh, pretty good, Bob. Uh, nice to talk. Nice to talk to you, too. Um, so let's get to it. Uh, the U.S. election, the preceding campaign season and the president's first month in office, I think by anyone's measure, have all been surprising. Um, now you, Josh, have been uh, one of the pioneers uh, in formulating and uh, advocating a conception of democracy according to which public deliberation, public discourse, um, the sharing uh, and exchanging of reasons are all central to the democratic idea. Uh, and the democratic ideal, uh, and might even be intrinsically tied to the very idea of a legitimate uh, democracy. Um, but I think also maybe by anyone's measure, uh, public discourse these days uh, seems to have many troubling aspects, and perhaps some of those troubling aspects um, might be uh, not just unfortunate, but um, 
bad for democracy or, or, or contributing to the degradation of democracy. Um, what's your thought, what are your thoughts about the state of public discourse in the country these days? Um, it's terrible. <laughs> move, on, move on to the next question. Um, no, I, actually, let me try to be a little more uh, uh, subtle uh, than that, though. I do think um, it's uh, it, it's pretty bad. Um, and uh, since it's obvious that it's oh, the, the that it's pretty bad, uh, let me say uh, a few things about. Um, ways, you know, on the upside that it may not be so bad. And I I say these not because on balance, I think things are very rosy, uh, but because it may be helpful in um, uh, uh, getting a little, you know, a a more balanced assessment, since I think we're lots of us, including me, are, you know, very concerned about the state of uh, public discourse and public policy and politics. Sounds good. Yeah. So, um, so a few things first, um, I think the, um, take the awful, what I think is, you know, awful, uh, executive order on immigration and, uh, refugees that, the uh, was issued on uh, January 27th. Um, I, I think there's been a, a, a very powerful and to this point from practically speaking effective pushback uh, from uh, the courts on the executive order. And it, the, the pushback from the courts, I think, has not only uh, stopped the uh, halt at the execution uh, of the order, but I, th- I think I'm uh, that the pushback from the courts has uh, improved the quality of but my sense from where I sit, improved the quality of public discussion about um, uh, b- both the substantive uh, issues about uh, immigration and borders and also the issue issues about the nature of executive orders, the power of uh, courts, the power of the uh, executive. Uh, and I'm just going to take a couple of uh, kind of, you know, obs- observations uh, like that. I think the insane quality of lots of public discourse has also um, had a kind of um, uh, a focusing effect for uh, lots of uh, large large and small uh, media outlets. Uh, media outlets is a, you know, a jargon where I talk like, like the New York Times and the Washington Post. And I think there's been um, a lot of, you know, very serious you know, thinking and rethinking of what the role of um, uh, the role of the media is, what the norms of political coverage are, uh, a willingness to uh, call out you know, lies as lies or, or, you know, misrepresentations uh, of the truth as misrepresentations of the truth, a break from a norm of reporting both sides of a story as the standard way to do business. This is uh, something that uh, uh, 
uh, Jay Rosen at NYU has been very, very thoughtful in uh, discussions of this, this kind of arresting impact on the and, and I know it. you mentioned I edit Boston Review. We have, um, you know, thought very, you know, hard about the implications of this uh, degenerate state of public discourse for the kinds of things that we should be doing. So I think the courts have, uh, have had this. Maybe uh, have upped their their game and upped the, the game of public discussion around the issues that they've been engaged in. I think the media have upped their game. Um, I think there's been, you know, for people who are broadly on, you know, my my side of the uh, of political uh, discussion, people broadly on the left. Uh, I, I, I think there are that the, for some. Uh, people, there's been uh, a kind of, you know, renewed awareness um, to go to the, the this uh, idea of humility plus conviction that, you know, lots of us have had lots of conviction and maybe not enough uh, humility. I think there's been an increased self-awareness among maybe among some uh, progressives about uh the ways in which they have been, they, we have been, um, uh, you know, guilty of the, the, the very kinds of, uh, behaviors of, uh, knee jerk assertions, uh, you know, partisan, uh, using partisan prisms to, um, uh, evaluate evidence and, uh, issues, uh, insufficient appreciation of the, you know, available arguments on other sides of issues or of the burdens on people different from ourselves. So I, so th- those are three things. Courts may be upping the game of in public discussion about some issues uh, uh, because courts are under attack. Uh, media, I think, doing a, a much better job than they had done for a long time and really changing their conception about how they're supposed to engage in, in um uh, engage in and provide an infrastructure for public discussion and uh, also maybe uh, an impact on the self-understanding of uh, progressives and a, uh, maybe a better sense of the need for a, a, a more appropriate combination of humility and con- uh, conviction as well. Excellent. So let's let me ask about the sort of first two uh, sort of yeah. uh, in your trio, because. Um, the courts and the media are um, the not the two, but maybe the central two um, uh, institutions of democracy that um, seem uh, to have been called into question, particularly um, by some of the president's recent pronouncements um, about so-called judges, for example, and about fake news. Yes. Um, so, so I, I, I really appreciate. Let me let me just say I really appreciate the optimistic uh, um, <laughs> uh, thought. Um, but you know, I mean, I was hearing a but that was a bad. <laughs> <laughs> yet, um, one wonders uh, when so much of the public discourse, um, and, and maybe I spend. I'll, I'll confess, uh, I, I might spend a little too too long, sort of. Um, uh, not participating in, but monitoring and looking at uh, comments, threads, and things, and it's very, very um, d- disconcerting in a way uh, to see how quickly um, these forums um, uh, turn on the courts 
and the media as fundamentally anti-democratic um, agencies in our society. Um, that fake news, the term, now just means um, news that reports something that challenges your own political perspective. Um, and uh, the so-called judges, uh, that, that the unelected, unaccountable judiciary <laughs> um, seems, uh, again, not merely to be criticized on the grounds that it, it looks like in a democracy you can criticize judges for, for the rulings that they, that they render and uh, criticize the courts and criticize judicial review. I mean, we could do all this. But the idea that these are fundamentally um, illegitimate and um, anti-democratic institutions seems um, to becoming prevalent uh, in a way that, 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 that at least gives me reason to think that the optimism has to be really qualified at this point. Yeah. Um, I think of it as hopefulness rather than optimism. Ah. But, uh, but anyway, but, but let me, uh, um, uh, uh, optimism, I think of as uh, the view that uh, Martin Luther King characterized as uh, the myth of time. That is, that as he put it, that progress rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. If that's optimism, I'm not optimistic. Progress doesn't roll in on the wheels of inevitability. <laughs> but uh, uh, um, hopefulness, I think, is a different thing. So let me let me say two things. Great. I think there are maybe two different points that you're making, and let me try to uh, make a few comments about each. So on the your uh, on the point about uh, courts and media uh, as two key institutions in uh, democracy, um, uh, yes, and uh, that's why I singled them out. And let me uh, back up a step. If you go back to Madison Federalist 51, um, the idea is he has the idea there about ambition being made to counteract ambition. Uh, and that's a way in which you prevent uh, overweening exercises of power. Uh, he was particularly uh, interested in um, the uh, ambition of, of the legislature of Congress uh, counteracting the ambition of the executive and and uh, vice versa. Um, uh, the ambition of Congress is not doing much counteracting of the ambition of the executive because you know, uh, because of partisan uh, and, and, and for that matter, policy allegiances between uh, the Republican-dominated Congress and uh, the president, despite the uh, you know differences, uh, arguably persisting differences on views about Russia and on views about trade policy, there's an enormous amount of overlap there, and there is the common partisan affiliation. Mm -hmm. uh, I think what's happened uh, because of the attacks, not just on. Uh, individual decision, judicial decisions in, in particular cases or just on particular uh, journalists or uh, papers or cable news channels or whatever, but because there's been a kind of an attack on the institutions 
with comments about Judge Curiel, for example, or with the comments about Judge Robar being a so-called judge. Those are attacks on the institution. And I think what's happened is that there's been a recognition of that on the part of, you know, a bunch of people in the press and a bunch of uh, judges. And what they're doing is pushing back not just about particular stories or about particular cases, but pushing back um, uh, in, in defense of the in, uh, of the institution itself. Now, as it happens, uh, something you pointed out, uh, one of the things that courts are supposed to do is not only you know come to decisions in particular cases, but provide you know be play a role in. Um, uh, contributing to a kind of principal discussion of issues of uh, public concern, not that they are the sole arbiters or arguably even the supreme judges of those issues, but they help to um, move uh, discussions about political issues onto a, 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 they help, they contribute to moving them onto a plane of principle. And I think that they've been playing that role, which is an improvement in the quality of public discussion. And, and I think the same thing is true of the uh, media. That's their, you know, their, uh, their role. And I think there's been much deeper self-consciousness uh, because of the insta- the attack on them as institutions about the need uh, uh, to play that role. Um, now, so that's so. Yes, there's a there's a defense of these important, I think, a rather self-conscious defense of these important democratic institutions in the spirit of uh, ambition being made to uh, counteract uh, ambition. Now, it, you uh, you rightly then observe that. Um, you know, if you look at social media outlets, uh, you know, the discussions there often degenerate pretty quickly. I'm a maybe a more active participant in some of that than you. I, I, I'm a pretty uh, I, regular both observer and participant on uh, Twitter yeah. um, and less on Facebook these days. And also there's a, a, a kind of far right. Uh, alternative to Twitter, it happens to be far right by who's there, gab.ai, and I right. was spending a little bit of time there. Um, and you're right uh, that, uh, you know, those are not models of, uh, neither one of those are models of uh, public reason, uh, exactly. <laughs> um, but, uh at least on the surface, but, uh, I, I'm, uh, um, let me make two observations there. First of all, in the case of Twitter, I think it's a little bit silly to regard, uh, Twitter as a forum for discussion. I mean, you know, the messaging is too short. I think the role of Twitter is it's a broadcast medium. It's a way that you call people's attention to things that are worth reading. And I myself benefit enormously uh, from that. Uh, I follow a few people 
They point me in the right direction to things that are worth reading that I wouldn't otherwise have noticed. And some of the things that I read are the things that I get pointed to and read are all over the place politically. So I learn a bunch uh, in doing that. And I think if you use it properly, there's much, there's a great deal to be learned. I also do get into, you know, the conversations, arguments uh, with, with people who I really disagree with and uh, wouldn't otherwise be engaged with at all. And honestly, uh, what I find is, um, yeah, you know, this is, you know, as John, John Stuart Mill wouldn't have been surprised by this. Right. Uh, you learn stuff and you learn stuff even when you don't change your mind. You, you know, that million idea that you get a better grip uh, through public, through public in, in debate on the meaning and the grounds of your convictions, even when you don't change your convictions. Absolutely true. It's real. I find it really clarifying. I don't find it clarifying when, you know, I start getting the Jew this and Jew that, you know, which, you know, is about 1% of what I get. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people disagree pretty sharply and you have, and, and, you know, this goes to the humility point. You end up having to think harder public discussion, serious public discussion is a hard business. And to go back to my earlier point, I think lots of people with whom I agree on lots of issues uh, are, you know, to put it maybe very bluntly, are just as lazy in thinking about stuff as the people they disagree with. And, And I'm just, I'm pointing to myself when I say that. And that's one of the things that I've learned, uh, by, uh, by engaging with uh, people with whom I fundamentally uh, disagree. I mean, and when I say people with whom I fundamentally disagree, one person I've gotten to know on Twitter is Richard Spencer, the all right. I I fundamentally disagree with him. We met on Twitter. We communicated some. I met met up with him in person. We had a conversation for a couple of hours. Uh, I didn't exactly try to persuade him of anything. He didn't exactly try to persuade me, but I learned a bunch from uh, I find his views completely loathsome. I found them no less loathsome after meeting him than I did before meeting him. Nevertheless, um, you know, I think I am more convinced than ever that Mill was right about the value of uh, uh, engaging in uh, debate around with people with whom you fundamentally disagree. Anyway. Well, uh, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I, 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 um, John Stuart Mill is a hero of mine as well. But um, do you run into um, the following uh, kind of um, trouble? Um, Not from the people who you fundamentally disagree with, but from the people who um, you share political ground with Mm -hmm. uh, in that – uh, in my own engagements of these in these sort of million ways, um, I've come across the view that – to take certain kinds of oppositional views um, seriously in that million way is to capitulate to them or to um, dignify them in a way that um, it's not only um, strategically unwise to dignify them or capitulate to them or acknowledge them, but also maybe politically suspicious. Do you come across that? I come across that some, but actually... Uh, not so much. I mean, th- there have been a couple of people, uh, you know, on, uh, to, to, there's one person in particular and, uh, uh, who was really <laughs> beating up on me for, uh, 
um, engaging at all in just the way that you described, whether it was dignifying or legitimating or some bad thing right. to these uh, views. And, and the fact of the matter is, uh, if you're going to engage at all in ways that, uh, that you might learn something from, it, typically what you've got to do is, you know, bend over backwards to, you know, have a bunch of people yelling at you and you have to, you know, you have to be much politer to them than you are to your friends. <laughs> if, you know. And so, so there have been, there's at least one person, maybe there are two people who've, um, uh, come at me pretty hard, but I, you know, and I, it's not a, I don't think that's a crazy thing to think. Um, uh, so I didn't mind. Uh, I think that too, I thought, Hmm, Maybe you're right. I don't think so. But uh, I'm, you know, it's it's a, the, the voice of this person, you know, kind of slapping at me, uh, you know, is vividly present for me when I uh, when I do this kind of thing. But I, I don't, uh, um, you know, I mean, here's an just a, it's an example that's in this space. Uh, uh, so after the. Um, uh, the Milo fiasco at Berkeley. Um, uh, um, uh, there was a, a, uh, I said something on, uh, Twitter, um, basically, and it was partly in response to what, um, then Trump had said about, you know, I don't know, taking money away from Berkeley or some horseshit. <laughs> Right. But anyway, I said something. I made four points. Uh, first, you know, that I thought, you know, Milo was, a, you know, an asshole. Uh, um, uh, secondly, that I thought the protests, uh, it was that were great. That it was great that people came out to protest. Third, that I thought the silencing and violence were bad. And fourth, that I thought, you know, Trump should, you know, shut up. And that, again, that was on the, the fact that he had gone after the university. Um, and no one, not a single person said, oh, you, you know, million asshole silencing was good. Right. Uh, no one. I mean, literally no one. But I got a shitstorm, a shitstorm from the right because I distinguished between the protest, which I thought was great, and the silencing and violence, which I thought was bad. And these people all thought that this was just bullshit to distinguish uh, between, uh, be between these two. And when I say shit, I mean, I don't know, a thousand people. I, you know, oh, wow. it, was, it was like, you know, there is this tro trolling or whatever and this phenomenon of the swarming. And it was, you know, like six year olds playing soccer, you know, like they all go to the ball. Well, they all, you know, <laughs> there are a lot of people who get. And uh, so I, I don't get. Um, uh, you know, I'm. Sh yeah, I, I, I just didn't. I, and I'm, I, I can really think. I, you know, go back to what I said before about this one, one or maybe it's two people. Uh, it's really uh, infrequent. Uh, I, I found for myself anyway to get that kind of 
criticism. Um, yes. Yeah. So did, let me add one other thing sure. because you know, and I, um, you know, I in in the earlier part of the conversation, uh, we were talking about courts and the media as institutions, and I was saying that they were. They were you know, not only pushing back against criticisms on particular decisions or particular stories, but defending the institutions themselves, which have an important role in, in uh, public discussion. And I, and I think arguably that'll have beneficial consequences on public discussion. I, I don't want to single them out to the exclusion of, you know, singling out uh, of, of, of emphasizing uh, what I think will probably be a pretty good um, uh, consequence for public discussion of lots of people feeling, you know, uh, uh, people, you know, progressives, people on the left feeling like, you know, rightly that they are under assault and getting politically engaged. Um, and when I look at these, you know, town halls where lots of people are showing up and, you know, pissed off and pushing back hard, um, I, you know, I, I think that probably, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that it, 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 you know, it took this, you know, potentially disastrous, calamitous election to have that effect. But I think there's been a powerful effect on, uh, uh, you know, political, on political mobilization and political mobilization in ways that I think, you know, w w could well have a, a power, a positive impact on, uh, on, uh, uh, on public discussion. So, you know, we'll see about that. And also, uh, similarly, I think there's been a renewed appreciation, um, because of the, this, you know, victory at, at the, of Trump and the Republicans at the national level. Uh, there's also been a renewed appreciation of the incredible weakness of, uh, the, you know, political left, uh, the, you know, whether the Democrats or alternatives to the Democrats at the subnational level. And I think there's a fair bit of uh, engagement that's happening at that level. And uh, I also think that that's probably likely to have a, um, a, a good effect on, on, uh, on, on, on public uh uh, discussion, but you know, we'll see. But I, I don't want to just make the focus on the the fancy institution, so to speak, uh, and 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 neglect the you know what's you know core to uh, uh, democracy, uh, and, you know, public engagement. Anyway, great. Yeah. So um, you've been very generous with your time. Let me uh, ask one one more question uh, mm -hmm. to, uh, to 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 wrap us up. Do you have any lessons or advice that you might share with? Uh, our listeners about, for example, uh, how they might engage with social social media. Um, I do think that I, I love this this you know humility conviction um, pairing, um, and it, what what I love about it is that both things are really important. Um, and it's really hard to have 
both. It can, you know, I, it's, 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 it's easy to feel that uh, humility is the enemy of conviction. That's the old, you know, Robert Frost of liberals or people who can't take their own side in an argument. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, the conviction is the enemy of humility. I don't think that the, that the one is the enemy of the other, but they are hard to maintain in uh, a kind of, you know, equipoise. Um, and I, I think, um, uh, the way I, the way I found my, just speaking for myself and reiterating the way what I was saying earlier, I think that, um, uh, the way you can learn things in these, uh, well, actually, let me make two points. First, the way you can learn things in these social media settings is probably by erring on the side of uh, humility and erring on the side of humility means, you know, being very, very aware of the ways in which you're doing the very things that you're accusing other people of doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 the kind of, you know, resting too much on, you know, pre uh, on preconceptions, uh, reading controversial evidence uh, in ways that, uh, conform to your, uh, uh, pre-existing convictions. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, so erring on that side is helpful in engage when you're engaging in conversations. And, and I do think I find, as I say, that I do, um, I, I, I do learn something. I, I learn a bunch by doing that. The other thing I think is that, you know, if you, um, you think about these social media outlets, uh, you know, let's say Twitter and, uh, Facebook in particular, Gab, I don't know how long that'll go. And it's a, a very narrow band of opinion on it. These are really, uh, pretty new. I mean, you know, Facebook is, you know, roughly a decade old Twitter, roughly a decade old, although, you know, with a little bit slower growth, uh, initially. And I don't think, uh, we've kind of learned yet how to, uh, you know, what the, what the appropriate norms of engagement and criticism and response and non-response and, uh, are there. And, uh, it takes time to figure out, uh, to figure out how to do these things. And, um, so, so I think that a little bit of, uh, so a combination of humility, uh, if you're going to learn something and you can learn things, humility, really important. Secondly, not just humility, but patience, trying to figure out, uh, you know, what the norms of discourse are in these, you know, still relatively new, uh, venues for, uh, mass, uh, communication. And I always do that. Um, in, you know, informed by, you know, very, you know, you know, this sort of back the background, uh, conviction, conviction from, um, you know, uh, you know, Lincoln about, uh, patient confidence in the ultimate justice <laughs> of the people. Um, what, you know, what better hope is there? And, uh, you know, there are lots of circumstances like the present where it's easy to, 
lose firm grip on that uh, hope and, and, and on the grounds for that patient confidence. But I, I, I don't know. I, I think people give up too quickly. I think, you know, democracy and a good, it's really, it's hard work. It's really hard work. So that's my recommendation. Do the hard work. Uh, Josh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for your time uh, uh, for talking to us, uh, talking with us today. Um, And thank you, listener, for uh, checking out the Why We Argue podcast, which is produced by the University of Connecticut's Humility and Conviction in Public Life Project with generous support from the John Templeton Foundation. You can follow the project on both Twitter and Facebook at at Public Humility. Thank you so much. Bye for now.